Passionate, driven, enthusiastic, euphoric. This is who we are as entrepreneurs, but how we leverage these incredible attributes to dream and build businesses that scale and grow is what this podcast is all about. Hello, I'm attorneypreneur Josh Brown, and welcome to Franchise Euphoria. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Franchise Euphoria. Josh Brown here. And before we get to the actual interview today, I wanted to tell you about something I've been working on for the last probably two plus years. As many of you know, I'm a franchise attorney and I spend a lot of time helping people buy great franchise systems or what I hope will become a great franchise system. And to that end, I spent a lot of time reviewing the legal documents, what's called the franchise disclosure documents, that every franchisor is required to provide to prospective franchisees. Well, over the years, I've realized a lot of really important elements of each and every uh, franchise disclosure document, what's included, what sometimes is not included, questions to then take back to your franchisor, red flags, and perhaps most importantly, a breakdown of what these complicated legal documents actually say uh, in an understandable format. Now, what I've done with that is I've created a guide and audio series. It's called a lawyer's guide to buying a great franchise. And it comes with about a 50-page, nice uh, PDF that breaks down every aspect of the franchise disclosure document and also comes with audio case studies that further breaks down some of the more important elements of the FDD. Now, of course, if you want to check that out, and I would love for you to do so, just head over to IndieFranchiseLaw.com forward slash guide. That's IndieFranchiseLaw.com forward slash guide. And of course, I'd be remiss without saying that this is not a substitute, nor is it legal services. It is an educational guide, but I really think it's going to help you along your journey in finding the franchise that's right for you. So on today's episode, we're going to do a throwback to one of my favorite episodes uh, from the past, my interview with Matt Fry, owner of Bub's Burgers and Ice Cream. Matt and his wife, Rachel, founded and created and built Bub's burgers and ice cream into a tremendous food uh, restaurant business. And we talk a lot about his philosophies on not only growing a business and owning a business, but how you build a good culture with your employees and your staff and how his demand for excellence is a driving force in everything that Bub's Burgers does. So hope you enjoy. Today, I am thrilled to have Matt Frey on the show. Matt and his wife, Rachel, are the founders and owners of Bub's Burgers and Ice Cream, along with Bub's Cafe, two restaurant concepts that are wildly successful and recently converted into a franchise model. Bub's Burgers is the home of the massive 22-ounce Big Ugly Burger. This burger attracted the attention of Adam Richman from the hit TV show Man vs. Food, who simply could not resist the challenge. Matt and I will talk about this and much, much more throughout the interview. So let's get started. Hello, Matt, and welcome to the show. Hey, Josh. Thanks. Well, you know, we 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 have a lot to cover in this episode. You you and I have talked um, off of the recording, and, uh, you know, there's so many things I really want to dive into with your story and how you got started, and, and I think that's really a good 
good jumping off point, just starting at the beginning and telling us how, how you decided to enter the wacky and exciting world of, of restaurant ownership. Yeah, the, the sure thing of the food business. Yeah, uh, well, how it all started, I mean, I'll go back to the very beginning. I had, a, I had a job when I was nine years old. I was a paper boy. I had that job until I was 15, but at the age of 14, I started in the food business as a dishwasher at a, a new banquet facility on the north side of Indianapolis called the Ritz Charles. So I literally had two jobs at 14 and 15 years old. Uh, I mean, eventually I, I became way too cool to have the paper out anymore. So I had the job at the Ritz. And, you know, I did about every job in that facility from, you know, managing the buffets, bartending, doorman, co-check, landscaping. I mean, you name it, and I did it. So, I, you know, at the time, you know, I, I didn't even realize back then that I was learning all these valuable lessons that come to find out that I would use so many different ways as I got older. Once I graduated from high school and went to Ball State University, uh, majored in political science, you know, thinking I was going to go into government work of some sort or teaching of some sort. And at the last minute, I decided to take a job with a food brokerage. And at that time, I was based out of Indianapolis, and I dealt with a distributor, a specific distributor only, wrecking 60 different product lines, Tyson Foods being the biggest. And my job was to stay front of face, front of mind, you know, a true sales job of these of these sales reps to go push the products that I repped. And I'd make calls myself. I'd be in the kitchen cooking food. You know, that's food sales 101 is you cook it, you get it in their mouth to find out if they like it or not, and then try to sell it to them. Uh, I took a promotion with that company up to Grand Rapids, Michigan. At that point, I was covering the state of Michigan with second and third tier distributors, again, repping 60 different product lines. But, you know, at that point, I got a little tired of being the middleman. And, you know, being in between the manufacturer and the distributor, you know, that's that middleman position I refer to. I'd rather be on the decision-making side for, you know, how to use the marketing funds efficiently, decide how much money could be used for a marketing fund, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I was offered a job by the Kellogg Company, selling, obviously, all, all their well-branded products like Frost Flakes, all their cereals, Pop-Tarts, all those products they have. And they put me in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I was there for uh, just about a year. You know, with any kind of job or opportunity you have, the better you perform, the more opportunity there is. So I exceeded expectations, got promoted within the year down in Nashville, Tennessee. was there for just over a year. They promoted me up to corporate. And uh, that was just a great, great experience, learning the brand identity of the different products, the quality, the value of their product compared to others just like it. Uh, and again, learning lessons that I really had no idea would be so important to me later in life. Um, after three moves in three years to Kellogg's, I was there almost four years, and uh, they wanted me to move again, and I said no. And at that time, my family was you know, you know just starting to develop. We were married, and, um, and we just found out we were pregnant with our first child, and I said no to the move, and, you know, corporate world, it didn't really turn out that well. Um, so I decided to go find another sales job with a company that I actually repped as a broker, stayed in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, uh, covered 15 states, and then my old boss, one of the ones from Kellogg's, left there to went to a, a company in Kalamazoo, Michigan called Fabrical, a plastics thermoformer, and uh, I went to work with him and was there for about two years, but at that time, you know, again, I was on the road Monday, hopefully just Thursday, but typically Friday, 40-some weeks a year in sales and, you know, staying front of face, front of mind with all the brokers I managed and all the different products. And that was the same uh, at each level of each company I was with. And that's when my wife, Rachel, and I started talking, you know, what if we do our own thing? Well, what would it be? And having all that experience growing up in the food business and, and Rachel worked at restaurants growing up and, and while in college as well, um, you know, just knowing 
distribution the way that I did in manufacturing from the food to tabletop to disposables, my Fabrical, um, you know, looking back, I was like, you know what, I, I'm pretty well versed at the whole industry of food service and how distribution worked, et cetera. So that's when we decided to open our own restaurant. And then it came down to, well, what is that restaurant going to be? And that's where, you know, cheeseburgers, everybody loves cheeseburgers, but that could be a problem too. So what makes ours better and different than everyone else, that's called a value add. And there's five reasons why, personally, we think our burgers are better than everyone else. They're fresh, never frozen. They're hand patty, cooked to order, after cooked weight, and fresh baked buns every day. And then the sixth element is really our staff. And, you know, when you're, when you're creating a business plan, you want to keep it really simple. Our menu is very simple. You know what you're going to get when you come into a Bob's Burgers and Ice Cream because we're good at one or two things. What challenges me is the understanding of most restaurants when they have four or five, six pages of menu trying to be something to everybody. I, I, I can't understand how that can be feasible and logistically wise. Um, it, it just confuses me. So Bob started in 2003. Uh, and at that time, I, I quit my corporate job, and we moved back home to the north side of Indianapolis in Carmel, Indiana. And uh, we just happened to find out that, uh, you know, my wife wasn't feeling that well. She went to the doctor, and all we'd ask, she goes, uh, guess what? I'm pregnant. And that was our third child. So not only did I give up that 401K, wow. the company car, the insurance, the golf trips, the full-service Marriott's, first-class airline tickets, all those, all those corporate perks, to go open a restaurant, which is damn near suicidal. We found out we were having our third child. So that's the trial and tribulation we went through when we first opened. Um, and, again, the footprint's maybe 5,600 square feet of an old building we renovated into a restaurant. Uh, that's the original one that opened in 03. And, uh, you know, we were open for about three months, and we were just killing it. Couldn't believe how busy it was. And we opened May of 03, so we were just through that summer just killing it, just shocked. And people, well, it's the best burger I've ever had. When school got back in, the numbers started to drop a little bit. You know, summer was starting to be done. And then the winter hit, and people thought we closed over the first winter. So we reopened. Or no, we, we didn't reopen. We, we stayed open all winter long and fought those trials. And then people would come back and say, oh, when did you reopen? And I'll tell you, I went nuts because they, they didn't realize we were open year-round. So, and then each each winter, the, the winters got better and better and better, and the summers got bigger, bigger, and bigger. So we're blessed with the fact that our location is just prime. And... Uh, we're, we're very blessed and happy with how it's turned out over the past 11 years. And, well, it's uh, incredible. I mean, it, it sounds, I mean, your, your story just sounds such like a, tr you know, a true entrepreneurial dream. I mean, you know, here you, you, you got sort of the background in distribution and manufacturing and all the various processes and it all, I'm sure at the time, like it is for most entrepreneurs, it didn't seem like all the pieces were coming together. It probably seemed like, oh, my God, I'm about to have my third child, and I'm just starting this restaurant. This is nuts. I can't believe I'm doing that. Uh, yeah. I've just heard that. I've heard that from so I mean, I, it was the same thing for me when I was starting my law practice and, you know, on the verge of having another child. And it's just there's never a perfect time. You know, would you agree with that? There's just there's never a perfect time to go launch your dream, right? I mean, you have to do the best you can. You want to get the experience. You want to plan things out. But I don't think there's ever a time where all of the stars magically align, and then it's like, okay, now I can go do it. Well, you're exactly right. And, you know, it's the same thing with anything, really. I mean, if you're married and you want to have kids and you're going to wait until you have enough money, that's, there's never that time that you can have have money. You just, you know, you, you take that risk, you take that jump, and you manage through it accordingly. And, you know, it, it's funny, because when we opened in 03, that's right around the time McDonald's was getting sued for 
the supersized meal. Remember that? I do. I remember that. Pound burger. We got the big ugly burger, a one pound burger after cooked with a half pound bun. And here's McDonald's getting sued for supersizing people. And then mad cow disease hits. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here we are. We just opened this burger restaurant. You know, people are being accused of making people fat. And now mad cow disease and people go nuts. So yeah, and then we flooded in September. The, the hundred year flood happened in our in our community, and oh, wow. you know we had like two feet of water on the whole building. And that's after being open three months. And you know, you just—it's so funny, Josh, because you respond in so many different ways than you ever thought you would. When when you lay things on the line as an entrepreneur, you just you you make things happen. And when you people have tell to. you no, you can't do it or you won't succeed. You know, you got to have that blood boil inside of you because if you're like, yeah, you might be right. Then you don't try it. Work for somebody else. But you got to have that passion. You got to have the understanding of what it takes, and it's not easy because there is no right time. Because you know, to be, you know, I'm 42 now. I opened up when I was 28, 29. Um, no, 30. I'm sorry. Um, it, it's tough physically, mentally, just everything. Well, I mean, Personal, here you are I mean, too. It touches every emotion. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, here you are. You're opening a restaurant. You're opening a burger restaurant. You're opening it up with your wife. I mean, there's so many different um, wonderful things but challenges, I'm sure, along the way. Take us back a little bit because I'm sure there's people out there who are listening who are thinking about starting their own restaurant. I mean, I talk to people all the time who who sort of have that as as a dream. I'm kind of curious a little bit. When we go back, when you after you had the dream and you realized, okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and make this thing happen, did you and Rachel have a conversation about, okay, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, these are some of the things that you know I should be doing in terms of putting things together, these are some of the things that you, did you guys divide up tasks, or what was the process that you guys went through after you made the decision that we're going to make this happen? Well, you know, Rachel's background is, is a lot of advertising experience. Her job out of college was with J. Walter Thompson, a large advertising firm out of Detroit, Michigan. And at the time, they did all the Ford and Monroe shocks and White Castle and things like that. So her strengths are uh, analytics where she can sit there and research and analyze all day long. Where, you know, you put me in front of a computer for 10 minutes, I'm starting to yawn pretty hard. And I'm a sales guy. You know, no means yes and on your feet, moving around. Where she likes that seclusion of analyzing and database research. And, and I'll tell you what, Josh, this really helped our business tremendously because she picks up where I can't. And I pick up where she can. You know, one of the biggest decisions, the most successful one we made when we first started, is to realize I'm not a bookkeeper, she's not a bookkeeper. So we hired a great bookkeeper. Same thing with an accountant. So those kind of investments are definitely worth it because you want to focus on your business and not sit there and work in your business all day long. And that's why a lot of restaurants specifically fail. You know, you're trying to cut that capital outlay as much as you can. You're trying to do everything yourself. Make sure you know you're there 15, 16 hours a day, six or seven days a week, and that's not why you open the business. You open the business as an entrepreneur for flexibility, pride of ownership, decision-making abilities, 100%, and the pressure of having staff on you to make them succeed. And, and some thrive with that. Some need an assistance with that. Others just can't handle it. But again, that's the pride of it. And, and delegating those responsibilities from the very beginning, creating that blueprint, is so essential with any business, but specifically restaurants. I mean, did you take the time to seek out other restaurant owners that you knew or other successful uh, restauranteurs to just kind of bounce things off of and sort of serve as mentors for you guys? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, being a food sales, I, I 
traveled the nation, and I've seen a lot of great restaurant concepts, a lot of great management styles, a lot of great structures, but mostly a lot of bad ones. And again, looking back on all those experiences, not realizing that, you know, if you would have told me 20 years ago, hey, man, heads up, you know, take notes on all this stuff because you're going to open a restaurant, you know, at that point in your life, I would have said no way. But looking back, you remember those things, and, you know, you implement what you saw was good, and you, you kick out what was bad. But, yeah, there's my brother-in-law was pretty influential in this. He, he owned that banquet facility, and, you know, he was definitely a soundboard. But, you know, it's, it's an apple-to-orange business comparison. You know, banquet facility versus a family-style sit-down restaurant with waiters. It's There's some similarities, but it's really kind of different. But he was just good to talk things through with, and, and I knew other restaurant owners. And um, But, you know, you, you, you can't show your deck of cards too often. So, but, you know, devising this business plan, Rachel and I knew that we needed to have some type of marketing catch, and that's the big ugly burger, one pound after cook. Then you have the not-so-ugly burger. The half pound burger after cook, the settle for less ugly, and that's quarter pound and the mini buff. So, you know, when you walk in the door, you see the display case, and they're all hand patties sitting there, and you kind of, you know, it's like the butcher market. You know, you, you walk in, you see your steaks in the case. I know, we I love that. that. I love that. Yeah, we we never thought many people could buy and eat a big ugly. I mean, honestly, it was, it was designed to be kind of a marketing thing. Come in and see the size of this thing. <laughs> no way, wait, wait. I'll, I'll eat the not so settle. And I'll be darned if, you know, the first couple of weeks, we open. People are like, they don't. I'm like, Rachel, oh my God, we said we'd take their picture if they ate at all. We had to go buy a camera and printer. And so we did that. And then, you know, within the first month, we had a full wall on our restaurant full of four by six pictures. And then about a year later, two years later, people were always saying, oh, you should have made it bigger. Should have made it bigger. And, you know, from a business marketing concept, you want people to succeed. You want their picture on the wall. Why? Because they're going to come back and show their friends and show their brother, show their dad. And then, they're probably going to eat again while their friend or brother or dad's doing a big ugly challenge. So but who came up with later, that? Like, who, who, who came up with that marketing? Con- I mean, I think it's brilliant. I mean, who, who came up with, okay, first of all, naming the big ugly burger and second, yeah. just thinking we, I mean, cause you, everything you're saying is, is, is really, really great information because most people don't think about these things. I mean, when I talk to people who are looking to start a restaurant or you hear people talk about it, they don't think from that perspective. They think, Oh, I just love to make this. And I think I should start a restaurant. Yeah. You guys really had the business side of it down which is Absolutely. so important, and, and there's no question. The big ugly burger. What a differentiating point. What a mar- what a what a. Um, it's like a speaking point. You know, somebody can leave there, and in addition to saying it was a great burger, it was man, I got my picture on the wall. Yeah, yeah, and it's and that's that's the problem a lot of restaurant owners make is that they like the idea of the business of the restaurant. They like cooking, or they like being behind the bar, and they want their friends to all come in. They like that idea and that restaurant idea concept but they fail to realize it's a business. And if you treat it as your own, as your own grocery, as your own bank, as your own refrigerator, whatever it may be, you're doomed for failure. If you don't treat it as it's somebody else's money and you're accountable for it, it's a really risky situation to be in. But yeah, that big ugly was simply rationalized idea that create kind of a thing to come in to see, um, and to see what happens with it. Is that but, what um, attracted man versus food and Adam Richmond? Yeah. Yeah, so that goes back to my point of um, is a couple of years later, people were saying, oh, you should have made it bigger. So the concept is if you eat one big ugly burger, you get a four by six picture on the wall. So people were like, make it bigger. What do you do if I eat two? I'm like, bigger picture? They're like, all right. I'm like, <laughs> no. So that's where the eight by 11 picture came in on the walls. 
And then about a year later, what do you do if I eat three? I can do three. I'm like, uh, poser? All right. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so posters are up on the wall. So we've had over 80-some people in one unit eat two. Um, God, at least 20 have eaten three. And then that's when Man vs. Food called and said, hey, you know, we, we've sent moles into your restaurant. We love the idea. We love the product quality. Adam wants to be the first to eat four big uglies. Would you mind if we came? I'm like, let me think about it. No, not at all. Get here. <laughs> yeah, twist so, my arm, right? You know, it's funny because that, that's, uh, that show is so funny. And, and there's such a large following from that show. And, it, you know, the, the blessing is, is it's, it was first filmed. They filmed it over four and a half years ago, and they keep re-airing it. So it's the gift that keeps giving it. I'm so thankful to the Travel Channel and that crew and that team to, to do that because it has really blessed us in so many ways. It's unbelievable. Oh, well, Matt, Matt my cousin. Worldwide advertising. No, my, my cousin comes in um, every year from Cleveland, Ohio. And a few years ago, he comes in with his son. And they go to the Baseball World Series here in the summer. And oh, so yeah. they stay with us. And, and it was funny because a few years ago, he comes in. And I said, well, wh- you know, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go for? He's like, I got to go to Bub's Burgers. Got to go to Bub's. I'm like, how do you know Bub's? He goes, man versus food. And so now yeah. every it's, single time they come in, we got we go to Bub's Burgers. We, we, we go over there. So it's amazing. Yeah, it is just, just crazy. So what was that like having him there? I mean, tell me about all that, how they filmed that and, and sort of uh, the environment. Was, you know, it was so stressful, to be honest with you, because they came Memorial Day weekend, and that is a weekend for us that's kind of like, hey, winter's gone for sure now. Now it's out, and, and summer and spring are here. And typically it's 70 degrees or 75 degrees and sunny, and, and it, people are all out. And plus it's race weekend here in Indianapolis. And so they, they told us that day, they said Monday. I said, oh, that's a great day. And it was like four or five weeks. And I look at the calendar a lot, and it's Memorial Day weekend. I'm like, oh, no. I can't call him back and say, sorry, I can't do it. So I just ran with it. We couldn't advertise anything. No one knew he was coming. And so, you know, they're supposed to be there about, I think, around 8 o'clock in the morning. And then we do those kitchen shots. And then, you know, then they'd get their footage throughout the day. Then he'd eat, and, and then we'd shut it down. Well, they got there a little late. And, um, and so they got there about 11 o'clock. And at 11.05, we're on about an hour wait already because, you know, no, you wasn't there yet, but people, it's just so nice out. And people want to sit outside on the Monon Trail and all this kind of stuff. And then he shows up. So picture, you watch the show all the time, and you're sitting at Bubs, and in walks Adam with a camera behind you, or behind him. People just started freaking <laughs> out. And got on their phone immediately. Next thing you know, there's thousands of people all around Bubs. You know, the wait's up to four hours now. We're just all freaking out, but... And then we had to do the kitchen shot, so we had to close everything down temporarily. You know, people were still in there, you know, waiting and all this stuff, but we had to do the kitchen shot. So it was a very tense, crazy day, but I'll tell you, it's just priceless, and I'm so grateful for it. It's just amazing. That's incredible. So it was, it was total impromptu, really. See, I, yeah, went, I didn't know if they staged some of that with all the people in there and everything. No, 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 not at all. And it's just, and it, it felt so bad because when it came time for him to eat, to try to do the four big uglies, you know, they had the table setting kind of near the entrance, and all of our other tables are in back, and people that were already there, they wanted to stay. And so from a table turn perspective, we couldn't turn tables. We did a lot of go orders. But then these seats that did open, you know, people were like, pick me, pick me. I mean, it was like a, you know, it was unbelievable because you had to fill the seats. And say I had to fill six seats, and there's 100 people that want to sit there to be on camera. So it was, man, I'll tell you, no, there's no, act, there's no, you know, hey, let's try this again type of thing. It's all... 
it's all it's all going. Now, see, there that makes go. me that makes me love the show even more because, and I never thought about that when I'm watching. It. So you're actually sitting there running the restaurant as they're essentially filming for the show. Yeah, all at the yeah. same time. I figured yeah, they shut it down. That is cool. no. Wow, that's no, fascinating. Um, it, yeah, it's uh, just a little stressful, but like I said, I'll, I'll go through that any day to get that kind of publicity. It's it's just great. Well, so tell me this. Let, let's turn to um, franchising a little bit because here you are, you 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 have one burger and ice cream place. Uh, when do you reach a point, or when did you reach your point where you decided, hey, w- we can open up a second location. We're ready for this. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the man versus food thing played a role in that, and also it's down in Bloomington, Indiana, where Indiana University is, and that's where Rachel went to school. And we were down there visiting some friends or something. We saw this building for sale, and it was just a perfect Bubs building, all brick. And our signage, you can just envision the sign on it. Um, and we looked in the window, and it was just it was bare bones. There was no HVAC, no plumbing, no electric, nothing. Just limestone walls and concrete and brick. We're like, oh, my goodness, there's no way. The build-out for this thing would be just way too large. The time went by about a year, and then, long story short, we were down there. It's still for sale. And made a made an offer, and they actually took it. And I looked at Rachel, like, "Oh, we just bought a building." So <laughs> that's kind of how Buzz of Bloomington came about. And it's about an hour and ten minutes away on a college campus, and you know, it's a it's a little bit bigger than the original footprint up in Carmel, and and it's done really well. You know, we we in our business plan and forecast, we estimated that when the kids all went home for for summer or for the holidays, the business would trick down one or two points. And believe it or not, Josh, it stays stays level and not tricks up a point. Really? Because the locals the locals love it. All the locals absolutely love it because a lot of places, a lot of restaurants will close down when those kids leave. And plus, we're not a place that has a bunch of beer signs up, beer posters and all that kind of stuff. It's a family restaurant. It's clean. It's safe. It's good. It's easy. And it's it's what everybody wants. Well, so I'm an IU grad myself. And so, yeah, I, I, I love that there's a Bubs um, down there for whenever, whenever I get get back to Bloomington. But how, how, how was that for you once you got it set up? What to Talk a little bit about some of the challenges and experiences and maybe some things you learned from now running two locations, and not just two locations, but two locations that are 100 miles away from each other. Yeah, you know, it's all with the people you surround yourself with. I mean, I always use this analogy. It's just like life. Life is so easy if you got the right people around you, someone you can laugh with, cry with, yell at, talk with, whatever it may be. It's the same thing in business. If you don't surround yourself with the people that you trust, can lean on, can laugh with, cry with, talk with, it's impossible. It really is. And it goes back to that ego and greed thing. You know, if if you're doing this just for the money, it's not the right business. It's our obligation as, as restaurateurs and entrepreneurs to create a concept that people like, that's safe, that's clean, that they understand what it is they're going to get and not like I said before, don't, you know, trying to be everything to everybody. And it's just our obligation. And then it's also our obligation to give back to the community the way we should. You know, it always kills me when this, you know, the schools go to restaurants and say, hey, have a, have a junior high day and all the money will go to the school. You know, or 10% of the proceeds go to the school. And it's just, you know, and the, and the restaurant gets all this advertising and all this free press. And they end up giving like $250. Where I've been confronted by schools to do that, I'm like, no. And they go, what do you mean? I go, no, it's my obligation to help you support a group going to study politics in D.C. for a week or, you know, the something to do with a business program or something like that. 
it's my obligation. I'll write you a check for $500 right now. And to me, that's my obligation that we should do for the community, not, hey, what am I going to get out of this? I'm going to I'm gonna really make on this one. I'm only, only going to give you 250 bucks, but I'm going to get all the free press from you guys all over school, your parents, your families, their friends. You know, it just it confuses me. But to, I guess I got off track there. But to answer your original question, you got to surround yourself with the people that you trust. I mean, this business is so risky to begin with, and a lot of it is theft. It's burnout. It's just bad plan, bad location, et cetera. But if you don't have the people that you trust, you're you're doomed. Well, so how did you get a how did you get a good manager down in Bloomington? I mean, did you guys know somebody, or did you was that a process? Well, well I, I promoted a guy from within, and he was willing to relocate down there. And in that building we bought, we have two apartments in it. So you know, we we uh, worked out a deal that he got to see in the apartment, and he worked, and and you know, and and but I've been through a couple of them. I've been through a couple managers because there's a process to follow. And if you can't follow that process, the business kind of falls apart. You know what I mean? The process is the solution. If you, if you have a business, especially a restaurant, if you don't have checklists, a blueprint for somebody to follow, you're never going to get away from it. You know what I mean by that? Oh, so so it's if I, so if I hire you, Josh, yeah, if I hire you, Josh, to run a bus and just say, hey, go run bus, versus, hey, Josh, here's what you do when you open Here's what you do when it's slow. Here's what you do when you close. And if you live by the philosophy, open to close, close to open, and follow the process of our training and our implementation of our thoughts and what we call bubisms and and everything else with the business, not the restaurant, you'll you'll surely succeed and be content with what you're doing. We just had a, a managers meeting where all of our managers got together from all three burger shops and our cafe and our catering division, and we talked about the buy-in. Do you believe in us? Do you believe in what you do? What are you motivated by? How do you turn ordinary people extraordinary? You know who I'm talking about there, right? Yes. The old Michael Gerber, baby. It's so, exactly. The, Michael, and for those who don't know, Michael Gerber, E-Myth, Revisited, I mean, a lot of what you know, Matt's, Matt's talking about, what you're talking about, are, are those principles of learning how to systemize and uh, to take what you do and take what's in the owner's head and put it down into a process so that ultimately you end up working on your business instead of in your business and, and, yeah. and therefore you can you can be a part of it in a way that helps it grow, helps it mature, helps it become more efficient, but you're not buried in the day-to-day, which almost every restaurant owner I know is buried in the day-to-day. <laughs> and Michael, it, it is so hard. Now, get this, we opened another three. Just the past couple months, I've finally realized to do that. And it's not just, I mean, you have to at the beginning. I mean, you have to admit, the first couple of years, you have to get in there and, and create a process. But that process is going to evolve over time, and it's going to change. And that's your job as the owner and the entrepreneur is to make sure that that is in sync with the current changes of the economy or the customer base or whatever it may be. Um, but I'm telling you, it's also very, very hard to let go. It's hard to let go to a GM to say, okay, they are now me. Are they doing it? You know, you, you almost you settle for a little mediocrity, but again, it goes down into finding that right person. And it took me 11 years, Josh. It took me 11 years to get to get used to that, to say, it's time. I, got it. I, I have hired them. I'm paying them to do a job. I'm working on the business and not in the business. Now, granted, I still stop in. I'll still point out things that need to work on, and I'll still communicate with that GM and what I found, what I saw. I'm not a vacant, absent owner, trust me, but I am 
I'm very comfortable with where I'm at right now, and and things are better at home too, to be honest with you. So, what finally pushed you to do that? I mean, what finally? Because I'm sure you thought about it for years. I mean, uh, most people understand at a basic level. Okay, I need to put a process here. I need to put a system. But there's a big difference between understanding that and then executing it. And then also, what I find is when people execute on it, what happens is the first hiccup that comes along provides the excuse for getting away from it. Because, yeah. you know, because it doesn't make it's like it's like anything. It's like you, you put these systems, you put these processes and it doesn't mean you're never going to have problems, you know, but I think it it alleviates problems. But also when you do have problems, it's easier than to plug the holes um, on the on the backside. So what what was it that really pushed you um, over the edge and said, I'm going to do this? There's there's two things. One was the family, my family. I, it was a hard time for me to separate my bubs, eyes, ears, my go mode, to turn that off when I came home. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Oh, so, God, I totally relate to that. I can completely yeah, relate and, to and that. Yeah, and there's a term called a, being a boss hole, and I'm sure you can use your imagination what that means, is that you can't walk around your business and just boss people around. Boss, You get no respect. That You're not teaching. You're not motivating, encouraging by any means. And I, and I was kind of starting to do that at home. And I, and I didn't like it. And, and plus, I didn't want to lose my GM or my managers by micromanaging them. You know, they, they just got to follow the process. Then it's entirely up to them based on their performance, whether they succeed or not. But again, it, it's, it's kind of our fault if they don't succeed because we got to stay on top of it, checks and balance. We got to, you know, just make sure they are following it and they, they understand it. That's what we talked about our management meeting most of the days, that buy-in and following process and what do they need, what can we provide, and, and how it works. Well, I love what you have going on, and I and you know having talked to you a few a few times um, off the recording and, and getting to know you a little bit. I mean, you're you're definitely doing things the right way, and you definitely care, which is you know three fourths of the battle. And I know that now you're offering franchise opportunities for the right candidates. And you and I have talked about this. I think it's so important that it has to be that right person who's going to come in and and be the franchisee. Um, I'm curious if you if you wanted to talk about that at all, and maybe tell a little bit about what the type of person you're looking for uh, to come in and be a Bubs franchisee. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the way this the, the issue or the topic came about was about a year and a half ago. Someone came to us wanting to franchise, and Rachel and I were, you know, I don't know, you know, it's it's, you know, one time someone said to me, "Would you let somebody else raise your kids?" And I was like, "No." He goes, exactly. That's why you could never franchise your business, because that's almost what it's like. And all that blood, sweat, and tears that went into it over 11 years, I'm going to turn over to somebody that's just about the bottom line, just about selling burgers and making money. It's really risky. But the, the person that came about, um, you know, we, we did everything legally with the documents with the, with the law firm that we work with. And um, long story short, that relationship did not work out, because that person wanted to start changing things to buy a cheaper bun to go before cooked wheat instead of after cooked wheat. And I understand. It's about the bottom line. And it's about money. I mean, that's why you're doing it. But that's also why a lot of franchisees, they kick off really strong and then they disappear. Where our concept is, you're going to do great starting off and continuing. But it's not that, that takeoff launch point that most franchisees have. You're going to be around for a long time if you follow our process and, and, you, do, and you believe in what your job is beyond making money. You know, we, we hire salespeople. They're not bus hosts, dish, ice cream, or waiters. They're salespeople. And we hire young people. 
you know, we can hire at 14 years old here. And we get in their heads, teach about return on investment, maximizing profitability, brand identity, value add, all those things that I learned in that corporate sales world and it, doing dishes back at the ribs. Um, that, that's what we do. And it's such a different job. I mean, it takes, it takes a passion to do this because you're going to have an impact on somebody's life beyond checking their uniform when they, when they clock in and make sure waiting tables and then cleaning accordingly and everything else. It's about having an impact on somebody's life. And that right person needs to understand that when we talk to them about franchising, because it is about money. Don't get me wrong. The, the main job that all of our staff has above is to make me a ton of money. But the message behind it, yeah. the more they make for me, the more they make for themselves. So it's a sales job. Return on investment. Maximize that profitability for them. So suggestive sell comes into play. And just the knowledge of the menu and the eye contact, the personality, the cleanliness of the shirt, the shoes, the apron, all goes into our business. Are you looking People, for somebody? Are you looking for somebody who has a, a background in the restaurant business to become a franchisee, or does that matter as much to you? Um, yes and no. To be honest, with you, I know that's a bad answer for an easy question, but uh, almost like hiring somebody young to where you want to get in their heads first and teach them the Bubs way, the experience, right? The lifestyle of Bubs and versus somebody that you're going to have to retrain and get all those thoughts out of their head to truly believe in you. And I know it can work. I absolutely know it can. But like any business, you got to find the right location, the right person, and then hire the right staff. But I'll tell you, Josh, it's such an easy business. I mean, honestly, it is. It's a very simple business. If you, if you if you be simple and good at one or two things and you don't try to be everything to everybody and you're clean and you buy right and you motivate, educate, encourage, these people will buy into this philosophy and then you'll get the return. And the biggest compliment to me is that, you know, I had a, a girl, a couple of girls worked for me when they were 14. They graduated from high school. They've graduated from college. They're, now they're getting their master's and they're still working for me. Number one, they make great money. Number two, they believe in the brand. And they've even said to me before, Matt, gosh, back lady, you're such a jerk to work for, but you know what? You were right. And what I've learned here at Bubs has helped me in interviews. It's helped, and even these kids that graduate from Kelly Business School down at IU that are struggling to get a job, you know, they, with no sales experience, they're trying to get a sales job, but they go, well, wait a minute. I worked for this guy that was pretty tough on us, and we know about return on investment, profitability, and brand, and value. And so his boss actually called me and said, hey, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to start hiring people that you employ because what you're doing is right. And so to me, that that's more meaningful to me than any dollar I make. Oh, the fact you're incredible. making a major impact on somebody's life, a young person's life, even the mid-20s, who am I? You know, my dad didn't buy me a car. I'm upset still. It doesn't matter. You know, you got to move on from that and realize that you got to take care of yourself. So how do you do that? And how do I do that? You create a positive work environment, a drama-free zone in the restaurant business, a product that's easy to sell and something that they're going to come back and get. Well, Matt, I mean, I can tell you, I mean, you're, you're unique. I mean, in, in, from that perspective, I think that's fantastic because a lot of restaurant owners are, as you know, are just looking for somebody to plug holes. Hey, let me grab another 15 year old off the street yeah. and you're really investing in them and you're, you're exhibiting tough love. Um, and, but, but that's the kind of thing that really pays off. And quite frankly, that's the kind of thing that makes people want to invest in your brand. And, mm -hmm. and invest in it. Tell me, where, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, my cell phone is fine, actually. Or my email. My email is bubs 
at bubsburgersandicecream.com or my cell phone is 317-727-3371. Well, I tell you, we have been talking now for some 37 minutes. It's it's flown by. You've been an, an amazing guest. You've shared some really, really great insights. And, I, you know, just thank you for your time. I know you are super busy. And um, I look forward to staying in touch. And, and maybe sometime down the road we'll have you back on again. Gosh, thanks so much. It really means a lot to you have me on. I appreciate it. Well, keep up the great work, and I definitely look forward to staying in touch. All right. Thank you. Hopefully this was helpful for you today. If you are in the market for a franchise, I would highly encourage you to check out my free ebook, which is What to Know Before You Buy a Franchise. You can head over to my website at Indie. That's I-N-D-Y FranchiseLaw.com and download it there for free. And um, let me know what you think. If you're enjoying this podcast, if you're enjoying the value that you're getting from this podcast, I'd also invite you to go to iTunes and uh, provide me with a rating and review. It always helps uh, for visibility on the podcast. So thank you so much for your support and uh, hope this episode was helpful to you. Thanks for being with us today on the Franchise Euphoria podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to go to iTunes and provide a review. Also, please remember that although Josh Brown is a licensed and practicing attorney, nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as legal advice, because it is not. The information contained in this podcast is general and educational in nature, and none of it should be relied upon as legal advice. That being said, if you have questions for Josh and would like to contact him, please email him at josh at franchiseuphoria.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you tune in to our next weekly episode.